0: For us as a, as a family uh, and as a church family, uh, one of the things that Nino and I were talking about and why we're walking through this series right now uh, called Press On uh, is because I was reading through Philippians when I was uh, away on our, on our trip in the States. And there, Paul talks in the midst of his sufferings. He says that he's gonna continue to press on in the midst uh, of his ministry and the work that God has given him to do. And so when we were coming back, we didn't know uh, lockdowns were gonna be happening again. Uh, But we thought it would be a great time for us as a ministry to refocus back on a couple of things that we know that God wants us to, no matter if we're in lockdown season or not lockdown season, to continually press on in as God's people. And so uh, this could even be a, a three-week sermon series we do every year, uh, because no matter where we're at in our life as Christians, there's a couple of things that are to always be what we do as God's people, things that should mark our lives, things that should captivate us, and things that we should be giving ourselves to as the people of God on the mission of God for the glory of God. And so uh, Nino kicked off our series last week, and he reminded us uh, of, of the immense importance of being a people of the book of people who love, treasure, uh, obey, dive into God's word. And it's important because uh, in seasons like this, it's much easier for all of us to press on in other things other than God's word, right? You can press on in another CBC article. You can press on in keeping scrolling through Facebook. You can press on in reading the comments section. Don't do that. It's a cesspool of disaster. Just stay out of it, uh, right? We can press on in, in many things. We might press on in another episode of the show that we're binge watching right now. Like we can, we can press on in a lot of things. We can give our lives to a lot of things, but as God's people, we have been called to press on in our affections and love for God's word. And so it's a, it's a reminder to us to cherish and love God's word, to, to be God's people who hide God's word in our hearts so that we don't sin against him. And as Christians, we are people of the book. God has spoken in his word and used broken, sinful men to write down exactly what God wanted them to write uh, so that we have the very words of God so that we might firstly know God but also that we might know how we are to live as God's people. We are to be, as we say a lot around the trails, we're to be a people that get into the word until the word gets into us. Because we know that life is gonna cut us. And when it does, we wanna be, as a church, the kind of people that bleed Bible. That's what we wanna be. We wanna get into it until it gets into us because life's gonna cut us. And when it does, we want what comes out of us to be God's word, not the opinions of man, not what anyone else thinks. We want, we want God's word to be what shapes all of our lives as God's people. In this season, for, for me, even thinking about my own future, uh, not knowing what 2021 is gonna look like, not knowing if following the clear commands of God are gonna have me or, or Nino or any of us even wind up in prison for the very things that we believe to be true about God and about God's word, For me, I wanna continue to be a man that presses into God's word. Because if I find myself one day in solitary confinement without a Bible, what I want is stores, pools of God's word that have been hidden in my heart so that I can still commune with God, remember his words, remember his promises in the midst of a lonely situation, right? And so this is very important for us as God's people to love and trust in God's word. And it's always been important to be a people of the book, but I feel now even more so as God's people. It's very important for us. It's essential for us. It's vital for us. Nino did an incredible sermon, so I won't say any more on that. Uh, You can listen to his sermon. It was phenomenal. Um, But for us today, what we're gonna be talking on is pressing on in the mission that God has given us. Um, Because during this time, what we might be tempted to do is to kind of hit pause button on the mission of God, Right? and just kind of sit back a little bit and just continue to wait a- as if things are gonna get better. We don't know if they are, right? And it's been 14 months of that. So, so are we gonna be people that keeps hitting kind of pause bu- button on the mission of God or are we gonna let God tell us what our mission is and what he demands of us? And so I, in thinking through that, uh, I'd love for you to start thinking for a moment, don't shout out any answers, uh, but, but be thinking about this. If you were gonna say, what is the one mission that God has you here on the earth for what is it? Another way to think through that, you know, shouting the anatomy. Another way for you to think through that is if you're a Christian, why in the world has God not just beamed you up to heaven? Why has He left you here? Because we, we still have a mission to do this. We have a mission to do. That's my boy. Give me some. Oh, uh, we still have a mission to do. And so that's what we're gonna be talking about and focusing on today. And, and if some of you here, if you're still exploring Jesus and you're trying to still understand the faith that we have, you're still trying to consider what, who is God and how do you have this relationship with him, it's important for you to think through, what is this mission? Why are all these Christians still around me? Why has God not teleported them uh, up to heaven? Why are they here? Because if you become a Christian, the mission that we are called to as God's people becomes yours. Right, this, this is not like your iPhone where you just say you accept it, you read all the things. Yep, I read it. No, you didn't. You're a liar. Right, like we want you to know up front what does it mean to follow Christ so that when you choose to follow him, you know what it means because the cost is high. The cost is high. And so when we're thinking about what does God want me to do with my life? How should I live? These are kind of the, some of the things we're groping about, trying to figure out, but we don't have to do it in the dark because God tells us in his word exactly uh, what we have. And the beautiful thing is that all Christians in all times and all places, all languages, all cultures have the same mission. All Christians and all churches. We don't have to like, as when we were putting together the trail Church, we weren't sitting around thinking, what is our mission gonna be? Because Jesus already told us what our mission is to be. So we don't have to come up with some really creative mission statement. Like Jesus has given it to us in his word. So uh, let's open up God's word together. Uh, we're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 28, uh, and we're going to be in verses 18 to 20. So you can either open up your, uh, your phone on your app or, uh, you know, the actual paper one that you have. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to be in verses 18 to 20. Now, this is a text that is often called and referred to as the Great Commission. And if you've been around Christianity for any length of time, you've probably heard a sermon on the Great Commission. Anybody, you've heard a sermon on the Great Commission? You could probably, if you, I was raised going to a little Baptist church and my mom and dad, one of the first scriptures I learned was this one. And so we teach this to little kids so that they begin to understand what is the mission of God for them. Likewise, if you've been around Christianity for a while, you could probably stand up here and preach this message. I'm going to say nothing that you're going to say, well, I didn't know. This is, this is shocking. There's not going to be anything that you're going to say, oh, this is some like hermeneutical, some like gymnastics with a text that's going to show you anything that you did not see or probably not have seen before. But a huge aim of Christian preaching is not necessarily to tell you things that you do not already know. A huge aim of Christian preaching is to remind you to press on in the things that you do know. Right? This is why we talk about the gospel so often. It's not as if we think you've forgotten. We know you've forgotten. Why? Because we forget every single day and need to be reminded about the good news of Jesus that has set us free. Because on our own, we'll start thinking that we're pretty good people who don't need a savior to die for us. Well, we'll start thinking we have all these righteous deeds that we get to bring to the table and bargain with God. No, we don't. We have Christ and him crucified. Right? And this is the message we continue to believe and press on in. And so this is the same thing here. Now, uh, if you aren't sure of this, uh, there, there, uh, in, in other gospel accounts, there's also the Great Commission. Uh, that might be the only thing that you might not know about. Uh, but all of these can kind of be found in Mark, in Mark 16, verses 15 to 16, Luke chapter 24, verses 46 and 49, John chapter 20, verses 21 and 22. But here in Matthew is the one that usually gets referenced to uh, by Christians and by churches um, as sort of a, a compass, guiding us to know what God would have us do as his people. And so that's where we're going to be spending uh, some time at today. So let's turn to our scripture and we're going to be uh, talking about the call to press on in the Great Commission. So let's read Matthew chapter 28 uh, verses 19 and 20 together. You ready? No. No, 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 you're not. That's all right. Everyone else, here we go. Uh, starting with verse 19. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray and then we're gonna dive into the scripture. Let's pray. So Father, we come to you this afternoon and we're thankful that we can. Father, we're thankful that you look at people like us who deserve nothing but judgment. People that have done nothing but fail you. We failed to love you. We failed to love others as we ought. We were once your enemies. We deserved nothing but judgment for all of our many, many sins. And yet by your kindness, you sought us. You sent people into our lives who shared with us the good news of Jesus. And through them sharing your word and inviting us to turn from sin, we heard the voice of Jesus calling out to us to come, to be forgiven, to come and be restored, to come and to have perfect peace. And so we came by your grace and by your enabling us to do so by your spirit. And so we thank you. I pray during this time, Father, that you would send God the Spirit in a special way to soften our hearts, to empower us for gospel ministry, for the works that you have prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Pray that you would give us a heart for your mission and to let us love you more as a result of our time together today. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, a famous pastor named Matthew Henry, uh, he was writing about these uh, verses, and uh, as he did so for his church, he explained to them that in this, Jesus is giving the final marching order for his disciples right before he's going to go back and be with the Father. And he said in this, the marching orders that he's giving them in these verses today are is that they would listen and understand and obey these things. This is what he expected, that they listen to it, they understand it, and then they obey. And I would, command, I, I would commend us that ours is the exact same thing today, that we would both listen and understand and obey the things that Jesus is calling us from this text. So that's our only outline, really. That's our hope. Uh, that's what we want to do as God's people, to obey his word as we understand it, as we listen to it. And as we do, uh, let's begin looking at verse 19 together. You'll notice that verse 19 begins with the phrase, go therefore and make disciples. And so in the, in the same way, like right now, if I needed Owen to go get something from the car for me, I'd say, Owen, don't do do not actually do this. I'd say, oh, go get something from the car for me and bring it back to me. And then he would hopefully do it, uh, right? Maybe, I don't know, he's smiling at me. I hope so. Um, right? I, I'm giving him the reason of, why I want him to go. I'm not just saying, hey, get away from me and go somewhere. right? I'm saying go and do something. Likewise, Jesus is doing the same thing. He's telling the disciples, I want you to go and do something, I want you to make disciples. And so in the sentence structure, we see that the thing that Jesus is commanding them to do is not just simply to go directionless, to get away from him, but rather to go very intentionally, on purpose, to be about the task of what? Making disciples. And interestingly, uh, some Christian Bible teachers and pastors, they will look at this command of Jesus and they'll claim, they will claim this is a call to make disciples, not to make converts. Has anyone ever heard that? Read that anywhere on social media? Anything like that? Praise God, he has kept you from this terrible heresy. Uh, So uh, many guys, they'll say this. They'll say this is not a call to go and to make converts. This is a call to make converts make uh, disciples. Um, And they'll argue that Jesus' intention here is not that we should give our lives to sharing the good news of Jesus so that people will repent of sin, turn in faith, and be baptized, but rather we should just simply focus on those who are Christians, helping make them disciples of Jesus, better followers of Jesus' teachings. So they would argue we're to make disciples, not converts. And the more that you think about it, it kind of sounds a little interesting, especially here in Canada, modern-day Canada, it seems kind of sensitive, maybe, you know, to, to let those people over there worship whomever they want, not have to go tell them they're actually worshiping demons who are not God and robbing the worship of the only true and living God, so they need to come and worship the one true God. Right? That's kind of an offensive thing in Canada, right? You say that at work tomorrow, your boss is like, oh, I think you're fired, right? Like, you're out. But this is something that in our society is seen as patriarchal, it is colonial, and you are a white supremacist if you believe that. Even if you're not white, it doesn't matter, right? These are the things that they will say, that, that to go tell people of different faiths that their gods are not God, and in fact, there's only one true and living God that one day they will stand and account for, is seen as terrible within our society at large. And so lots of Christian churches have gone on board with this and said, well, our goal is not to make, make converts, we're just gonna make disciples. We just wanna be loving and kind. We don't, we don't wanna call anyone to repent of sin and trust in Christ. We just, we just wanna worry about the Christians who are already here. But is that what Jesus is saying? Making disciples, don't, don't worry about sharing the gospel and calling people to faith and repentance. Don't try to convince them they're worshiping demons who can't save them. Rather, leave those people in their idolatry and just focus on those who are already Christians. Is that what Jesus is saying? Because if that's the case, the entire book of Acts seems really strange, doesn't it? I mean, the whole rest of the Bible seems really strange, but particularly the book of Acts. When when God the Spirit comes in and dwells the Christians the day of Pentecost, Peter goes out and he starts preaching. He has this beautiful sermon. At the end of it, people are cut to the heart. They're convicted of sin. They want to know what to do, and Peter looks at them and says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. He calls them to repent, to turn away from uh, everything they gave their lives to, and to believe upon Jesus. He doesn't say, oh, no, no, no. If you're not already on board, this message isn't really for you. You can just leave, right? He doesn't just say, oh, no, this is only for people who are already kind of in the club. No, in the rest of the New Testament, as Christians are scattered here, there, and everywhere, they go, and what do they do? They share Jesus. They call people to repent and to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, and as they do, churches are planted everywhere that they go. So did they misunderstand the command of Jesus, or did they actually understand it, right? Like, oh, sorry, Jesus, we weren't supposed to, we weren't supposed to share you with, with people that are Worshipping false gods. No, 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 they got it completely right. They should be sharing the good news of Jesus with people and trying to persuade them even trying to persuade them to believe upon Christ. We see this specifically in Acts chapter 18, verse four, 2 Corinthians 5:11, where that word persuading them is the word used in scripture. we give our lives to trying to persuade others to believe upon Jesus, trusting in God the spirit to convict them of sin and to give them faith and trusting that Jesus will call his sheep because he knows them by name, because the father has given them to him from before the foundations of the world. And all of this will happen according to the fathers will so that's what making disciples is all about see making disciples is sort of like the end of the process like so for example uh the other night we had nino and leticia over for dinner and uh actually they brought dinner over that was very kind of you uh he promised us a brazilian barbecue and we came back it was very good uh as they did so though, as they were coming over uh i i decided i wanted to make some cookies for dessert so i therefore went and made cookies Uh, But I didn't just wait until a cookie rolled in through my front door and into my kitchen and pick it up, dust it off, and put some frosting on it and give it to them. No, making cookies, I got out all the things. I turn on the oven, wait for it to preheat, uh, made everything, uh, put it all together, put those cookies into the oven. They came out of the oven. We cooled them off, and then we were able to eat them. That's the process of making cookies, right? You get that. It's like we, we have this soup at our house that we call it dad's soup, dad's famous soup. Dad's famous soup I buy at Costco. And uh, Owen always laughs at me. He's like, you didn't make this. I'm like, yeah, I heated it up. I made it. He's like, no, that's not making. And he's right. That's not making soup, right? Making cookies the way I did the other night, that's making cookies. In the same way, there is a way to make disciples. Christians, we are called to make disciples, which means the nitty-gritty work of someone becoming a Christian. It means sharing our lives with them who are far from Jesus and sharing the good news of Jesus and inviting them to explore Jesus along with us, either by reading the Bible with us or by joining a book club with us or coming to a gathering like this where they will hear God's word. We are, all of us, supposed to give our lives to trying to persuade others to Jesus to see that they are sinners. There is one true holy God. They have rebelled against him. And there's one way which they can have a right relationship with him and it's only through Jesus. This is our job of, this is what making disciples means. And this is the main verb of this entire text. Go therefore and make disciples. It's the big idea that Jesus wants for them to know. It's also imperative. I know English class was a long time ago. An imperative is something you must do. Think about your mom or dad saying, you must go do this. There's not an option. Mom and dad said it. You got to do it, right? In the same way, this is an imperative given to us. This is Jesus's command that all of our lives as disciples of Jesus are to be about making other disciples of Jesus. That's the end reason. So, So while there are things we must do in our lives, we must at all times have an eye to how am I making disciples in and through this? Right, and I get this, I'm a dad, so there's dad things I have to do. I'm a husband, there's husband things I have to do. I own a house, there's house things I have to do. I'm an employee, there's things I have to do. There's lots of things that we have to do, but what Jesus is here saying is he's not saying, I want you to add another ball into this already like superhuman juggling thing that you're doing in your life, he's saying I wanna change you as a person so that the person juggling the balls changes. So that you see work as evangelism, school as evangelism, when you're out at a park as evangelism. Like all that we're supposed to do is how are we as God's people making disciples who know how to make disciples? See, we're changing the heart of the person. We're not just, I'm not just saying, here, grab this into an already really, really busy schedule. And as Christians, we don't have a choice to do this either. Because God changes who we are as his people and sets us on this mission of, of sharing our lives in the good news of Jesus. And we're to press on in that endeavor. And then Jesus gives us two other verbs in here. You can tell they're verbs. They end in ing. That's the way, that's, a, that's something you do. I don't know if you remember the commercials. They were around when I was a kid in the 90s. A verb, it's what you do. So there's two other uh, verbs here. And the verbs are that we are to give ourselves to baptizing and to teaching. Those are kind of like the handlebars that Jesus gives onto the bike of making disciples, right? We're supposed to be baptizing and teaching. So in baptism, we read that we are to baptize them. And how are we supposed to baptize them? In the, in the what? In the name of? The Father, and of the Son, and of the Spirit. But that means something, right? That means this is a Trinitarian baptism, right? Imagine if, if I was baptizing you. And the first time you ever heard about God the Father or God the Spirit was when I said, now I'm baptizing you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And you're like, whoa, whoa, hold up, who's the Father? Right, like, that's, that would be very strange, right? And as Christians, we are supposed to, firstly, as, as making disciples, teach people about who is the one God who is sovereign and ruling and reigning over all things. It is a Trinitarian expression in baptism, which is our first step of obedience to Christ. And so we have to understand what is the Trinity? that there is one God that we know is three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And it's the expectation that Christians were to teach and to make known to our pagan neighbors and our non-Christian neighbors. The expectation is that we are making this God known to them, but also so that they know the functions and roles of God. This is something that we talk about often. And our kids, it just sometimes just, uh, right? Like there's one God, three persons. How does this work? We're like, it does. Uh, and we try to explain it, but anyway, try to explain it also is not correct. So we're like, it's just true. Uh, and so, as we, as we begin sharing this, though, it's important that we focus on who are these three persons and how do we know them and how do we relate to them. So, some easy handlebars for us, right? So, God the Father, we know that God the Father is the one who plans and purposes all things. He plans and purposes all things. Uh, God the Father is also the person that we have rebelled against in our sin. That we want to be like him. That was the first sin, right, Adam and Eve? We want to be like him. We want to judge for ourselves what is right and what is evil, what is good and what is wrong. Did God really say that? Uh, you won't die for that. Right? We want to be God and decide what that is. We look at things and we say, oh, did God really say that? I don't know. No, you won't die if you do that. This is weird. This is not right. No, 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 no. no. That's us wanting to be God. Right, and so he is the one, God the Father, that we have sinned against, because we think that we're pretty good gods. We think if God acted a bit more like us, he'd be a little bit more manageable for Canadians. Right? If he's just a little bit more kind like us. If he thought the way that we did, maybe they would want to worship him. But God is not to be trifled with like this. And all of us have become his enemy. We have all committed divine treason against the king of the universe. So we deserve nothing but judgment from him. And every sin is an act of insurrection, divine treason. And it soars up more and more wrath against him. However, however, what we see in God's word is at the perfect time, God, the son, Jesus, put humanity alongside of his divinity and he stepped into time. And he came to perfectly reveal God, the father to us. Not only that, where you and I have sinned over and over and over again, breaking God's judgments and God's words, Jesus never did. His life was perfect, in perfect obedience. But then he also suffered and died in our place, facing the wrath, the judgment of God that we deserve to pay. And then he rose bodily from the dead three days later, conquering over sin and death and the grave. And then God, the spirit, the one who convicts us of our sin and our sinful state before the father also convinces us of the truth of Jesus. That's his role. He convicts us of sin, so apart from his work, none of us would say that we're sinners. Apart from his work, none of us would be convinced that Jesus is God the Son who can be trusted. And God the Spirit is also the one who gives us the faith to believe any of this is true in the first place. We we are so dependent on God the Spirit's work in our lives for us to have any relationship with God at all. And then God the Spirit, as we have given faith and we repent from sin and trust in Christ, he then indwells us and he empowers us for gospel ministry. So so being a part of a disciple of Jesus is also teaching other people who God is. We must need to study this and know this as God's people so that we can share who is the Trinitarian God of the Bible. Because if we ever wanna see our neighbors come to know Christ, they must know who is the Trinitarian God of the Bible. They must know who he is, to know how they have offended him, how they can be saved by him. And then, uh, from that, we uh, are baptized. And that's that's a beautiful thing in the baptism uh, aspect, is as we're standing in the water, being lowered down into it, symbolizing the death of Jesus, and being raised to walk in a new way of life, that we are the old us, it's dead and gone, it's dead and gone. Is that Kanye? I don't know who that is. Uh, but but dead, and then and then now you are alive in Christ, raised to new life. And baptism is performed by a local church. This is important. Every Christian needs a local church, a local embassy of Christ's kingdom. For the church is the one that looks upon someone's profession of faith and their life and says, "Yes, I believe you are a Christian." From what you say and how you live, the local church says, we believe you're a Christian and the local church then baptizes you. And then the individual looks at the local church and says, as far as I can tell, I believe that you're a faithful gospel proclaiming, Bible teaching ministry, and I want you to help oversee my growth in Jesus. I need you to hold me accountable and lovingly lead me when I sin back to Jesus. And this is every Christian. This is every pastor on staff. This is every deacon on staff. This is every church member at a church. All of us are those who need one another to call us back and remind us of the goodness of God. Every single one of us. This, in God's economy, we need one another to be God's people. And baptism is one of the huge signs of that. And so we make disciples through baptizing, but also through teaching them all that Jesus commanded them. Interestingly enough, through the book of of Matthew, Jesus has been referred to often as the teacher, the rabbi. But now the disciples of Jesus are to be the teachers. That's a shift, man. 28 chapters, Jesus the teacher. Now you are to go teach. This is huge. But, But notice their authority doesn't come from themselves. It's not like, well, I've been with Jesus for three years, so I'm good. And they don't just get to say whatever they want to say either. No, their authority and their teaching both come from Jesus. It comes from him, and they are commanded to teach others what he has commanded them. That's so interesting that they're not to teach their own ideas, but the ideas that Jesus has told them. But we know that this command also to make disciples and baptize and teach are not just for them, but also for us as God's people. This is not just for some like, super extra special holy people. That's not their job. This is all of our job as God's people. This is what he's called us to do as his people. Every single one of us to press on to maturity. We are to press on so that we can teach the things of God to others. Teaching one another and reminding one another of the good things of the Lord. We are to mutually encourage one another. To point one another back to scripture in our conversations. Right? I mean, we're not, a, we're not a big group that gets together and, and the whole aim of, of our gathering is just to talk about COVID or the Jets or a million other things. Those things might weave their way into our conversation from time to time. But that's not what brings us together. That's not what binds us together. No, primarily, we are a group of people that are called to speak the things of God to one another, to remind one another of God's word and to call one another into faithfulness, to check in on our hearts. Man, how are you doing? How is your relationship with the Lord? What are you reading right now that's encouraging you in your faith? Are, are, are you not reading anything right now? Do you want me to hold you accountable to that? Do you want me to, we can connect like once a week, just make sure like, are you reading? Like what's going on in your heart? See, this is what we're to do as God's people. And it's something that we have to fight for in this age, isn't it? Like you have to fight for that, man. Because how, how often can you have a conversation with someone and the state of your soul or your concern for theirs never comes up? I'm ashamed that that's happened more often than not. I'm convicted of that. So another reason why I also need to press on in this. It's why you need to press on in this. God needs, God's calling us to press on in this. And Again, that's not simply the job of the pastors of the church. It's the responsibility of all Christians. We are to open the Bible together, to encourage one another, to learn God's commands together, to rebuke one another, and to exhort one another, to uh, see one another also as God's good gifts into one another's lives. I don't know if you thought about that. We are good gifts of God into one another's lives to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to bear one another's burdens, to help one another along life's narrow way. In in the same way, I just got done with a 4,000 mile drive. Do you know how long that is? It's crazy, with three kids. Do you know what sustained me in the midst of driving that long? Lots of coffee and lots of snacks right? That's it. Sunflower seeds specifically. That's just like, something's going, it just can keep going forever. Uh, that's what sustains me in that. And I was, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about how you and I are called also in this long journey of life. We are the means by which God sustains us. We're part and parcel of that. This is why the church is essential in our lives as Christians. We cannot do this alone. I cannot do this alone. You can't do this alone. We need other believers. In our lives with us, shoulder to shoulder with us, caring about our souls. So that's what I mean when we are God's good gifts to one another. Isn't it a good news as well that we're not alone in the task of making disciples all by ourselves? It's not just my job. It's not just your job. It's, this, this is all of us as Christians. This is what God is calling us into. And as Nino pre- preached last week, this is why we need to press it into God's word. It, it is what sustains us. It, it is God's words that will preserve us by God's spirit. See, we need to keep getting into God's word until it gets into us, remembering that the word helps us press on in the mission that he's given us. And so, brothers and sisters, that's our mission. That's our mission as Christians. We need to look no further, make disciples. It's God's mission for you, it's God's mission for me, it's God's mission for every Christian, all places, all times, we all have this same command. But what does that look like? That could be nebulous. Let me give you a few, I'm gonna give you three little handlebars to this. Firstly, it could be doing what you're doing already, attending church gatherings. Because it's here where we get into the word together in accordance with the other commands that we have to gather. And in gatherings like this, they're sort of like the main supper where we gather around the word and we feast in it together, where God speaks to us in and through his word. But, but then there's also discussions before and after where we're meeting one another, where we're building some of these relationships so that we can also speak into one another's lives. I know for a lot of you, you barely know the people here. So as we're getting to know, we're not gonna walk up to someone and be like, so tell me about your heart, brother. Right? Like, like it's gonna take a while for us to also get to know one another as God's people, but don't shy away from those things. Press into them. Ask one another how you're doing. Ask one another, how did you, how did you become a Christian? Are you a Christian? Are you just on this journey of exploring Christ? Where are you at in your relationship with Jesus? See where the conversation goes from there. Secondly, try uh, to share your life and the gospel with those that are far from Jesus. We'll talk about this in more detail next week, but but are there people that you know that you're actively praying for and trying to share your life with that are far from Jesus? Are there? And thirdly, look at maybe joining a discipleship group. A discipleship group is a group of three to five other people of the same gender who gather together for mutual accountability, to read God's word, to memorize scripture with an aim at, they're not just going to be together for the next 40 years doing this together, uh, but for the aim that they are then going to replicate and try to see how they can also help other people grow in their love of God's word as well. And I'm sure that we could find lots of other ways. I'm sure depending on like our church backgrounds and things like that, we could say, hey, we could also do this together or that together. There could be a million ways that we could practically live this out. But let me just say one thing at this moment, that you and I, if we're not careful, will walk away from sermons like this and things like this with a checklist of things to do. And our whole life that week will become about how good am I at checking off and ticking off the little boxes of things that I've done. And then your righteousness will not be built on Christ's righteousness, but on your ability to do things. So let me save you from that by also telling you you're going to fail at this. You're going to completely fail at this. You're going to botch it like crazy. There are going to be things that are going to happen in your life like COVID, where all of a sudden you're going to be like, what is the mission of God for me? I don't know. And things are going to be put on pause for a week, a couple of months. And you're going to say, you know what? No, I I think I've been living in sin. I think I need to be faithful to what God is calling me to do, and even step out, even when it's the unpopular thing, and even when you have to drive an hour out of the city to do it, right? And so, and so, we're all going to fail at this. We're not going to invite others to explore Jesus as we ought. We're all going to get caught up in pursuits. We're going to lose the mission of Jesus. We're going to get tired and maybe feel like we need a break from making disciples. We're going to get lazy. We're going to falsely believe that maybe we're off the hook because of X, Y, or Z. And so when that happens, when we fail to love Jesus and others and to follow the commandments as we ought, don't let that spin you further out away from the Lord. But let, it, let that moment hit you and realize, I have not been living as I ought to live. I'm thankful that my relationship with God isn't dependent on how well I've been living, but it's dependent on Jesus's perfect righteousness in my place. God, I'm sorry for that. Here we go. Game on. Right? And that's all that we need to do as God's people so we need God the Spirit also to empower us in this. Oftentimes, if I find myself lethargic in reading the word, kind of whatever about sharing my life in the gospel with those that are far from God, there's a couple of questions I like to just rehash myself and walk through. Firstly is, is this because I've actually never believed upon Jesus? Do I just know a lot about him? I also ask myself, is it because I'm too in love with this world, my focus is too narrowly upon other things other than making disciples? Thirdly, I I then process through, is it because I'm afraid of what others might think? Or is it because I feel like I'm missing out from other things? Maybe if I don't join the world in their pursuits, then, then maybe I won't have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. So maybe I should just join in all their pursuits with it. Or maybe is it because I've not asked him to do so? For me, that's the majority of it. Oftentimes, I don't ask God the Spirit to give me a desire for God's word, to give me a desire to share the gospel with other people and to make disciples. And it's amazing to me that, that as I ask God to give me that desire, what do we see about God the Spirit in scripture? He is the one who changes our will. He is the one who gives us new desires. He is the one who creates in us longings for the things of God. So we should ask him, God, Spirit, please give me desires for you. Give me desires to share my life in the gospel with other people. Give me hunger for the word of God. I feel like I have zero desire. Help me in this. And he will help you. He is our helper and our comforter. He will help you. Friends, we've been called to live like nobody else and to live for a kingdom not of this world. And one of the most beautiful things about the Great Commission is this imperative is that we're not alone in it. I love that the book of Matthew ends with these words, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That is that is great news for the Christian's heart because how often do you feel alone in your relationship with God? How often do you feel alone in the mission of God? How often are you like, it's just me? Jesus says, no, no, no. It's not just you. It's not just you. You are not alone. You are not alone. It's good to be reminded that we're pressing on in the mission that Jesus has given us, that we're not alone, but he is with us. Beautiful thing about Jesus is in the first chapter of the book of Matthew, he's called our Emmanuel, our... Oh, and what does Emmanuel mean? You're not gonna say it. God with us. How does Matthew end? Behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. He's our Emmanuel. He is our... God with us. Matthew can be, can be said to be the gospel where God is with us as his people. And this is a beautiful, beautiful thing because apart from God the Spirit's work in our hearts, we would experience no fruit of the gospel internally nor fruit externally. But we must remember that God is the one who seeks and saves the lost and he uses us in that endeavor. One thing I often like to do when I'm getting sad about relationships that I have with people that are far from Christ that I'm trying to share my life in the gospel with and there's just like zero movement there. I mean, nothing. And you're like, come on, where is this person? Right? And you're just like crying out to the Lord, like please save them. As I do that, I, I remember one really stubborn, hard heart that did not want to trust in Christ. This one. This one I was so comfortable in my own righteousness that I thought I had it down. And if he can change my stubborn heart and if he can change yours, he can change theirs. And that is good news for us and that he's with us in it. And then one last thing I want us to consider before leaving Matthew 28 is actually in verse 18. I kept verse 18 for the very end. Uh, If you're wondering if we were going to talk about Matthew 18, if you want to look at Matthew 18 with me, uh, it's a verse we haven't talked about with uh, yet. Uh, And before he gives us this imperative, this command to make disciples, and then the assurance that he's with us in the task to complete it, he also gives us our marching orders and comfort. Before he does all that, this is what he says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. So all of that, hinges on the fact that all authority belongs to him. All authority. So, so it, it's there to let us know that we're there for, that the entire command is based on the authority of Jesus. He can tell us to go into the nations. He can tell us what to give our lives to as Christians because all authority has been given to him. So the authority to accomplish the great commission is his. And I love that phrase, that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. What it does is it echoes Daniel chapter seven, doesn't it? Daniel chapter seven, verse 14, we have this glorious Old Testament prophecy where we're told hundreds of years beforehand that Jesus would be given this authority over all creation. And Matthew, who's repeatedly throughout his gospel, demonstrated over and over and over again that Jesus keeps fulfilling Old Testament prophecy after Old Testament prophecy after Old Testament prophecy, finishes by this little echo back to Daniel chapter seven. And in Daniel chapter seven, verse 14, this is what we read. To him was given dominion and glory and kingship that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. And here after the resurrection of Jesus, we see all that come to fruition. Jesus has received this kingdom that's an everlasting and indestructible. And he's claiming total authority, not partial authority, not some authority, but he has all authority authority. He is the true and better Davidic king, and he is seated on the throne. And having all of this authority, his last word to his subjects, to his disciples, is to spend their days, to give their lives, reorient everything, and head into the nations to make disciples. And interestingly, what Jesus is doing there is he's subverting the other kingdoms, isn't he? He's undermining all of their authority, all of their power, all of it. There is is coming a day where Jesus is going to overthrow every other kingdom. Every other kingdom will crumble and fall, but his will remain. But not before he saves his people out of those kingdoms. Isn't that fascinating? It's like when Israel first goes to the land uh, where they send in the two spies and Rahab and her whole family are saved. Everything else destroyed, them and their family saved and grafted into the lineage of Christ? Miraculously. In the same way, every kingdom of the world, he's sending in his people into them, redeeming and saving his people out of them, and then all of them will crumble. Every single one. What authority that that is. He knows his people, he's going after them, and he uses our lives to accomplish it. Isn't that nuts? That's crazy. If I thought about a plan and a mission of God, I wouldn't be looking around this room saying, yep, all of us, yep, on it. And Jesus is like, no, these are my people and dwell with my spirit to go and take the gospel to the nations and through you, by sharing your life and the gospel with others, they will repent and believe and trust in Christ. And that's a promise that we have in God's word. That's crazy. And it's beautiful. And as we do so, these people will become citizens of a new kingdom and they'll have a different king and yet still live within the nation they're from. Unless they go out from their nation, of course, to share the gospel and plant the worship of Jesus where it doesn't exist. And Jesus' kingdom is far superior to every other kingdom, which includes two big things. Firstly, it includes the kingdom and the reign of Satan. Remember, friends, that Satan has no power and authority other than what God allows him to have. This we know. Satan is like a junkyard dog who's tied to the fence posts of God. And he says, you can go this far and you can do that and no further. He has no power. There's not some big cosmic light versus darkness like Star Wars, yin yang, who's gonna win? I don't know. This is not the case at all within scripture. No, there is a day coming where the light of Christ will destroy all darkness and there will never even be night ever again, ever. I don't even understand that. If we sleep in the new heavens and the new earth, is it nighttime? No, I don't know. I don't know how this works. We're not told how it works. We're told there's no darkness. We'll never need that ever again. And there will never be night ever again. See, Jesus' victory is decisive. It's decisive. When he rose from the grave, there was a pronouncement made. Now, whatever power or authority we might have been tempted to believe that Satan had, Jesus crushed it and said, nope. And since that day, Jesus has been tying up the strong man. And what has he been doing? Plundering his house. He's been taking men and women from every nation, tribe, and tongue of the world. And it's beautiful setting them free and adopting them into the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of Satan is under Jesus's authority, and every geopolitical nation is under Jesus's authority as well. None can escape him, and it's good to know that there is not one kingdom on earth that he is not sovereign over. He is the Lord of all kingdoms, the king of all kings. In fact, we read in Proverbs that the king's heart is what? like streams in the hands of God, and he turns it wherever he wishes, which is great news. Why is that great news? Well, it's great news because what we know from that, what we know for certain is that Brian Pallister is not sovereign over Manitoba. Jesus is. Roussin, nope. Tam or Trudeau, nope. Everything going on with Palestine and Israel, they're not. Who is? Jesus. He is the one sovereign over every jot and tittle of everything. And so while we're looking at all these things going around on us, there's there's lots of fear, there's lots of anxiety, there's lots of oppression globally, there's all these big, massive things happening, we can look at all of that, and our hearts don't need to have great anxiety because what do we know is true? None can thwart his kingdom. Everything is coming apart exactly as he is ordaining it and allowing it to happen. Not one thing is happening that he's not ruling over it and saying, I'm allowing it which also means that our suffering is a part of that as well. It means what's going on with James, what's going on with Archer, what's going on uh, at other churches in Ontario. These things are not outside of God's control. It's tiny little pawns, little tiny men with big ideas of grandeur. God laughs at their, bill, at their plans. One day they will all kiss the sun. One day Canada will not exist. It will fade into the background as Christ's kingdom reigns and rules on the earth. So we can, we can look at what we're going through in, in our lives and not, not have great anxiety over it, but rather great comfort. Because we have a great God who's sovereign over it and has told us that he loves us. And in the midst of all the crazy, has given us a mission to do as his people, to share our lives, to make disciples. And that's so good to know and to be reminded of And although this great commission we know is given to the disciples at the end of the book of Matthew, we know this is for all Christians in all times and all places. It's for all of us. And we take this seriously as a church, especially the part about taking the gospel to the nations, ponte ta ta ethne, to, to all of the nations, tribes, tongues, languages, not necessarily like, Canada but but all of the nations within Canada all the language all the tribes all the tongues all the peoples. In the same way God has called us as his people to consider how we might leverage our lives to take the gospel both here and there and everywhere. And one thing that we've said from oh man a year and two months ago is that our big prayer is that God would from our church raise up men and women to take the gospel to unreached and underreached parts of the world. Places where they will probably be murdered for the sake of Christ. This is something I pray for my kids. This is something that I I expect God is going to do as he sends us out to make disciples who make disciples to all nations. That's a scary thing to say as a dad. It's a scary thing to live out as a dad. But it's also a beautiful thing to know that I can't prolong and I can't cut short the lives of my children. Think about that for a moment. Everything within our world right now is how you can prolong your life. Isn't it? Everything. Like, just live as long as you can. That's the goal. It's a global goal right now. Just live as long as you can. What does Christ say? Is that your goal? Nope. What do we also know from God's word? All of our days are written in his book from before we take a breath. That means that for us as Christians, we know we cannot quicken our days, nor can we shorten them. All of our days are in his hands. Who who are we to think we have the authority over our lives to say when we're gonna live and when we're gonna die? This is illusion we have as people. And what Christ is saying is, no, your call actually is a call to die. And until the day where you die or until the day when Christ comes and sets up his kingdom, what are we to be about as God's people? Making disciples, sharing our lives in the gospel with others and doing it together as God's people. And so this this gathering while it is secret and, uh, and wonderful and out in the middle of nowhere, uh, is also incredibly deceptive. This kind of a gathering is deceptive, and let me, let me tell you what I mean by that, and then we'll be done. It, it's, easy, it's easy for us, easy. You have to drive a long way, whatever. But, but it's easy for us to gather like this, to worship and to pray. It's easy for us to mutually encourage one another, to turn away from sin and trust in Christ when we're failing. It's, it's easy for us to gospel one another, to encourage one another, to eat together, and then head back to our kind of socially distant lives and, uh, and live the rest of our week feeling pretty good about ourselves. We were faithful. Other people aren't. Aren't we awesome? See how deceptive that could be? You could think that this is fulfilling the Great Commission. This is is not fulfilling the Great Commission. Is it part of it? Absolutely. Is this the end game? No. The end game is as we go and share our lives and the gospel with others outside of, of this. See, it's easy to convince ourselves that we're being faithful just because we're here. We can think God could be happy with the rest of our lives, the other 160 hours of our lives that we're not here during the week. But, but our king has commanded us to gather and it's good to do so. But, but, but we need to be careful. We need to be cautious. And we need to be repentant. I've repented so much in writing this sermon. I, I, I could spend an hour telling you all the ways I'm repenting in my life. And in thinking that maybe potentially this whole time is a pause button time in our lives. How silly is that? Hopefully you won't judge me too harshly. Uh, but if so, it's okay, because there's much worse things that you don't know in my life, and Christ has forgiven me for. Uh, so praise God. Uh, so, so next week when we gather, we're going to continue talking about pressing on, but we're going to talk about pressing on and how do we share our lives and the gospel with other people. So we're going to be spending some time in uh, 1 Thessalonians. So let's, uh, let's pray together, uh, and then we will uh, sing a little bit in response. So, Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for how you challenge and change us. I pray, God, that we would be more and more faithful as your people to your word. I pray that you would continue to fill us um, by uh, your spirit with courage to find ways that we can share our lives and the gospel with people this week, whether that's, you know, we have them over to our homes or whether it's those that are far from you that we try to meet at a park or go on a walk with. I pray for great gospel fruit and conversations. I pray that we would not just give ourselves to talking about COVID and regulations and all these things that are just silly waste of time. Though, though we could talk about some of that, but I pray that even more so we care about sharing and teaching about who you are as God, how, how they have a, a much, much worse problem than COVID and it's called sin. And, and they are for sure going to die of it and face eternity facing your judgment unless they turn and repent and trust in Christ. May we be may we so captivated and moved by this good news that you've saved us. And may we leverage our lives to making disciples of others. May, may we teach them who you are. God, may we see people come to know you as their God, Savior, and King. God, I pray for lives to be radically changed. I, I pray as well for churches to be planted in Winnipeg. I pray that you would raise up men and women to be sent out from this church to go plant other churches. I, I pray that we would see the city and the surrounding area is just littered with gospel communities, communities of light. I praise well for people from our church and our partner churches to be sent out into the nations so that the nations may be glad, so that we may plant the worship of Jesus where it does not exist, and in that may we see many people like Rahab and her family saved from the oncoming destruction that is short to come. Oh God, may we see that. God, use our lives. We are broken, sinful, messed up people who are desperately in need of Christ's righteousness supplied to our accounts. Use our lives, we pray. Use us, God. Give us a hunger to know you, give us a hunger for your word, give us a hunger to share our lives with others, give us a hunger to make disciples. Fill us, God, we pray empower us for the good works that we know that you have prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We love you and we ask all of this in Jesus' great name. Amen.